0: As you find your seat, I want you to think about the fact that over this past year, there's been a lot of new words and phrases. I don't want to say that they've become popular, but at least have become well-known. A phrase like social distancing. Who had ever heard of that before 2020 rolled around? Or uh, face mask? You know, before 2020... When you said the word face mask, you probably thought about baseball. And now, when we say face mask, we think about those blue things that cover our face everywhere that we go. Yeah, face mask, quarantine. You know, when you thought about quarantine, you thought about some movie where there was some chemical release and you had to quarantine and put these suits on and go through this cleaning process. Now, when we think about quarantine, it's kind of like a, an occurrence that we think about often. Probably a lot of you have not just known the definition of quarantine, but you've experienced the process of quarantining. And then the phrase essential worker, essential worker, you know, It depends on who you ask to what is an essential worker. But I would say to you, if you're here, if you're watching online this morning, if you're an essential worker in this global pandemic, we thank you. We love you. We are grateful for you. And I would like to go on record to say that in the kingdom of God, there were essential workers long before 2020. And I want to share with you this morning about one of them that I think will capture our minds, encourage our hearts, help us, spur us on to deeper faith and better service in the kingdom of God. His name's Peter. He's found in the second chapter of the book of Acts. I invite you to turn there this morning as we think about Peter as the essential worker in the kingdom of God. Someone who really was essential for the moment. That's what an essential worker is. Somebody that can't take off. They have to continue serving. They have to continue working. What they do for the organization is so incredibly important. I would say that's true for Peter this morning. If you're a guest today, we welcome you and you probably have looked to your left or right and see people either pulling their phones up to find Acts 2 or maybe opening a printed copy. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you one. We believe the greatest investment that we could make in your life is the investment of the Word of God. We are so confident that the Bible is the Word of God, and it should shape how we think and how we live, that we want to make sure that you have a copy. If you need one, Uh, In the back of the worship center, there's a copy for you, a blue copy. Just pick it up and take it with you. If you're online with us and you need a copy, just reach out. We'll get you a copy as well. Acts chapter 2 this morning, we're looking at Peter, who is the essential worker. But we don't only want to look at his actions, and his actions are important. We're going to learn a lot from them. But we want to take a step and we want to say, what is the heart behind those actions? What do we learn about the heart of an essential worker in the kingdom of God? Now, if you've never read through the book of Acts, where we pick up this morning is the day of Pentecost has already occurred. The disciples have experienced the ministry of Jesus. He's been arrested. Uh, He's been put on trial. He's been crucified. He's been put in the tomb. He has conquered death uh, on the third day and he's ascended into heaven and the disciples have gathered together in what we call the upper room and the day of Pentecost has happened where the church was baptized in the Holy Spirit and they went out and began to, Minister in a powerful, powerful way. And as they ministered in Jerusalem after having been filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, their ministry received two responses. The first one was this incredible intrigue. The scripture says, even that people were amazed and they were bewildered and they were astonished and they asked this question What does this mean? That's a great question to ask. But there was another group of people who mocked the disciples. And after the day of Pentecost, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were baptized in the Spirit, and they went out and spoke in tongues, and they were preaching the gospel in languages that they had never studied before. There were a group of people in Jerusalem that day that didn't say, What does this mean? They said, They've been drinking too much, they're drunk. That's why they're doing what they're doing. They they blame the disciples who were under the influence of the Holy Spirit and had received the power of the Holy Spirit. We're doing these great works of God. They were mocking them. And that's where we pick up this morning with Peter as an essential worker in the kingdom of God. So let's look this morning in Acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 36. And here is... The text that we're looking at that really helps us to understand the heart of Peter, an essential worker in the kingdom of God. Verse 14 says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then verses 17 through 21, Peter goes back into the Old Testament and begins quoting for them prophecies that talk about the power and the lordship of Jesus and what's going to happen when this prophecy is fulfilled. And so Peter says, listen, listen to me. These disciples are not drunk. This is a fulfillment of prophecy in the prophet book of Joel. So he quotes that scripture for him. And then in verse 22, he he begins to preach again. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and with wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed By the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then verse 25 through 28, once again, goes back to the Old Testament and he reminds him of more prophecy. He reminds those in Jerusalem of the other prophecies that talk about Jesus. And then in verse 29, he picks up again. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. And he foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then again he goes back to the Old Testament to remind them. That this is simply prophecy being fulfilled in verses 34 and 35. And then he concludes his sermon with this powerful statement. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Powerful ending to a powerful sermon. And this morning, as we think about the heart of an essential worker in the kingdom of God, you have your notes, you see that we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to look at three aspects of the heart of an essential worker in the kingdom of God. Then we're going to ask the question, how can I be an essential worker in the kingdom of God? Because just like when the days that Peter was alive, they needed essential workers in the kingdom of God, I would say to you, dear friend, the people in your life your friends your co-workers students your classmates we need essential workers in the kingdom of God in 2021 like we've never needed them before and we're going to talk about how to do that but first let's talk about the heart of an essential worker in the kingdom of God letting Peter lead the way the first thing that we see about this text is that Peter had a heart of courage Peter had a courageous heart now here's a moment Here's a moment where out in public, in Jerusalem, people are literally scoffing. They're mocking. They're making fun of the people who are living for Jesus. They're saying they're drunk. They're laughing at them. And the scripture says, the very first text that we looked at this morning, very first verse, verse 14, it says that Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and he addressed them. He spoke to them. Notice it doesn't say that he ran back to the upper room and he talked about them. He stood and with courage he spoke out. And he addressed the very people that were mocking the gospel that day. That's a powerful, powerful thought. That in a public environment, under ridicule and mockery, Peter had the courage to stand and to speak words of truth to cynics, skeptics, and people who were mocking the gospel of Christ. Peter spoke to them, powerful. The question is why? Why did he speak to them? And you know, always when we ask a question and the text doesn't give us an answer, we supply our own. And some people say that Peter spoke up that day with a heart of courage because he loved God. He loved God so deeply he could not fathom to think that in a public venue there would be people that would mock the very outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And because of Peter's profound and deep love for God, it compelled him to live with courage and speak out. Some people say it was because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, because he had been baptized in the Holy Spirit that he spoke out. And it would have been impossible for Peter, filled with the Spirit, to hear people mocking the gospel and to remain silent. That's why he had a heart of courage, because he was filled with the Spirit of God. And some people say it's because he loved the people. It's because he had a heart for people who didn't understand the gospel. And when he heard them mocking the disciples who had just had this incredible experience with God out of love for the people, he spoke up. Which is it? Well, I think it's all of them. I think Peter clearly had a deep love for God. Clearly, he was a participant in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, he loved people. But I want you to think about also all of the reasons that he might have had to say nothing. Now again, we're supplying this, these bits of information because the text doesn't say it. But look, you're a, Peter was a human. You're a human. Just think about all of the reasons that Peter might have had to not speak out and address the people when they were mocking the gospel. And you know, that really kind of leads us away from Peter into our own life, right? Right? And if we're in public and hear somebody mocking, what are some of the reasons that instead of living with a courageous heart, what are some reasons that we might be tempted to not lift our voice and address the mockers? I want for us to think about that for a second before we move on in our notes and move on in the message this morning. So what I've done this morning, and if you want to make these as notes, please do that Uh, These are reasons that sometimes we don't live with courage. These are reasons that sometimes when either in a private venue or in a public forum, when, when we hear people clearly speaking out against the gospel, these are reasons that tempt us to do nothing. Now, clearly, Peter didn't fall to these temptations, but maybe some will will be able to identify with some of these temptations the first is fear am i afraid do i live with fear about speaking out any place private public wherever when i hear people mocking the gospel or when i see an opportunity when god is clearly opening a door for me to step through and to, and to live with a courageous heart and be counted in the gospel and a, a follower of jesus am i afraid am i afraid If you're making notes this morning, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus speaks to his disciples about this. And he says to them, do not be afraid of the person who has the power to kill your body. Now, I know that because we listen and we believe what Jesus says is true, we kind of just like fly right over that. But let me say that again for you to hear. Don't be afraid of the people who have the ability and perhaps the desire to kill your body. That's a powerful statement. I'm going to just let that sit in with you for a second. I mean, Jesus is saying, do not fear the person who has the ability to take your life. He says, instead, fear God, the one who is able to not only destroy the life, but the soul. What is Jesus saying to his disciples? He's saying, listen, in a world in which people are hyper hostile to the gospel of Christ." Don't fear the people who would lash out against you. Fear God. God has the ability not only to take life, but to take the soul. Not only to destroy life, but to destroy the soul. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you don't have to be afraid of human beings. And some of us need to hear that this morning. Because when we're out at our job, or if you're a student, you're at school, or you're out with your neighbors. And you have that opportunity to speak up and be a voice for the gospel. Maybe you're afraid. And you don't, I just want you to hear this morning that Jesus understands that and he speaks right to it in the, in the book of Matthew. Now, I wanna tread lightly here because I don't think that this captures everybody, but I do wanna go on record this morning. And I do want for us to acknowledge the elephant in the room. And that is this. Sometimes we don't speak up for the gospel because we're afraid it's gonna mess with our money. Can I just be honest with you? Can we just admit that? Sometimes at, at our job, we don't speak up for the gospel because we're afraid it might cost us money. We may not get the business deal or we may not get the promotion. And so we're quiet. We don't speak out like Peter because we're afraid that it might mess up our money situation. And I want to share with you this scripture this morning because Jesus knows that too. And he speaks to that. If you're making notes, it's in Mark chapter 8. Here's what Jesus says to the disciples. it says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Now let me just pause there. I don't know how tall your money is. I don't know how big your bank account is. But it probably isn't to the point where you can say you've gained the whole world. Like maybe you've gained a lot of numbers on your 401k account or your bank account or whatever it is. But when Jesus says, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And what's Jesus saying? You don't have to fear about money. Be concerned with what's going on on the inside. Be concerned with living for Jesus everywhere that you go and it doesn't mean that that being a disciple of Jesus isn't going to mess with your money there's a great chance that because you follow Jesus everywhere that you go maybe even at your job it's going to cost you promotion I'm not saying that's not going to happen I'm just saying that according to Jesus what does it profit us if we stack our bank accounts as fat as they can possibly be and we corrupt our soul that's what Jesus says about being afraid. Now, another reason that we might struggle with being courageous in our heart isn't to do with fear. It's, it's because of shame or maybe we're ashamed or maybe we're embarrassed. And I want to share with you, if, if you're writing notes and you've written, you wrote down that text, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Well, Jesus talks about being ashamed of him. Not afraid of the world, but ashamed of him in verses 37 and 38 in Mark chapter 8. He goes on to say, For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me. And my words, Jesus says, in this adulterous and sinful generation, I will be ashamed of when I come with the holy angels. Do you feel how powerful of a statement that is? I mean, these aren't verses that you just read over and keep going. Like, these are significant, bedrock, foundational verses that speak to where we are in life. And I know, I know that all of us have struggled with being bashful, or being cautious to speak out, because we don't wanna be shamed, and we don't wanna be ridiculed, and we don't wanna be spoken of in a negative light. And students, I wanna say to you, I know that if you go to class, and you speak up as somebody who loves and follows Jesus, as somebody who believes that God created the heavens and the earth, and somebody who wants to follow the lordship of Jesus, I know that you'll be made fun of. But I want you to know, students, that it's no different in the job world. Because adults, I know that if you go to the job and and you pray over your food at the mealtime, or you talk to people about, I know that we all struggle with a sense of being shamed or ridiculed, And, and sometimes we can be a little embarrassed To march under the banner of Jesus Christ. And I don't condemn you. I don't throw stones at you. I just remind you of what Jesus said. If you are ashamed of me and my word in this adulterous and sinful generation, Jesus knew the context in which we live in this adulterous and sinful generation. What's Jesus saying? You can be courageous, you don't have to be afraid you don't have to be ashamed. And maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's not being ashamed. Maybe it is a more practical thing. Maybe as you think about being courageous for Jesus, you just you might say, I don't have time. I'm just too busy. Am I too busy? Maybe that's where you're at. You're so busy from sunup to sundown if you look at your calendar, there's something in every second of every hour of every day, this week, and the whole month. And you would look and say, I don't have any margin to be courageous for God. I'm just too busy doing stuff in life. Uh, if you're making notes, would you write down Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus is speaking right to his disciples, and he says to them, seek first the kingdom of God seek first the kingdom of God. And I know that you're busy, and I'm busy. Those of you online, I know that you're busy. We're all busy. We've all got great, important stuff happening in our life. But can I just tell you that if that gets in front of your discipleship, if that gets in front of you living for Jesus, it is out of of order, and it's out of priority. And I just wanted for us to, to see the courage of Peter, that, that heart of courage about how in, in a public venue where people were mocking, he spoke up and he spoke right to them. And as, a, as encouraging as that is for us, I wanted for us to take a step back and say, okay, but let's be honest. It's easier to read it in Acts chapter two than it is to do it in my everyday personal life. Why is that? And it's because sometimes there's fear, sometimes there's shame, sometimes there's busyness. But oh my friend, we can live with courage for Jesus Christ and we can be that same type of essential worker in the kingdom of God as Peter was. And Peter had a heart of courage. He also had a heart that valued connecting with people. He had a heart that wasn't just full of courage and when he heard somebody mocking the gospel, he was ready to speak up. To me, this is one of the most encouraging parts of this message and it inspires me in ways that I cannot even put into words. Peter was great at connecting with people. In fact, if you'll go back and look and you see, if you have your notes, you see that we're gonna talk about four ways that Peter was good at connecting people. And the first one starts in verse 14, when, when Peter is able to connect with people in that everyday moment. In that moment in life where real life is happening in real time with real people and the real circumstances and a real conversation, Peter steps right into that. He just connects with what's happening in that moment. What happens is what's happening in that moment is that there's people there that are mocking the gospel saying the disciples are drunk. And Peter just speaks to that. Like He just connects with people right in the middle of the conversation that they're having. And he's like, wait a second. Lend me your ear, he says. That's our way of saying, hey, listen up. Let me speak to this. A Peter is faithful and effective at connecting in the current conversation. I cannot explain to you how essential that is in the kingdom of God. In that very moment with real people, in a real conversation... Peter connects and say, you guys think they're drunk? Let's talk about this. And he just steps into that conversation. Another thing that he's really good at and effective is, as it relates to connecting is he's effective at connecting with people where they are already comfortable talking about spiritual things. Now, if you're making notes, I'm gonna give you a second to write that down, but I wanna explain what I mean by that. I want you to notice That in this sermon or in this response or in this message, three different times Peter goes back to the Old Testament. One time is to quote the prophet Joel. The other two times is to quote David. And he keeps taking them back to the Old Testament prophets. You know why? Because they were familiar with that type of spiritual talk. You see, they were in Jerusalem for spiritual purposes. Now, they had not yet given their life to Christ, which means you can be spiritual and not saved. It means that you can believe in God and not have a relationship with God. It can can mean that you believe in the existence of God or that you know Jesus historically lived and you still don't have salvation or the forgiveness of sins from him. That is the context in which these people in Jerusalem were living. But they understood the Old Testament So what does Peter do? He steps into the conversation and he continually goes to the place that they're comfortable with talking. He's like, no, you don't understand. Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to Joel. Joel talks about what's happening today. Let's go back to David. David talks about what's happening today. Let's go back to this passage in David. David talks about what's happening today. You see, if we wanna be essential workers in the kingdom of God, we've got to connect with people. And Peter's able to do that. But the third way that he connects is by talking about Jesus in a way that's common ground for them. Let me explain what I mean by going back into the scripture this morning. If you would, if you're you're still in Acts chapter 2, look with me in verse 22 if you would. And let's just see what Peter does as he's connecting. He's connected with them in the moment. He's joined the conversation. He's reminding them of the Old Testament, something that they're comfortable with, something that they're familiar with. But in verse 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. What's Peter doing? He is reminding them of the common ground that Peter shares with them. He's not talking about the things that they have a difference of opinion on. I'm not saying that's wrong to do. I'm just saying that as he's connecting with people, he is reminding them that there's a common ground that they have with Jesus. You yourselves know that Jesus did these things. You see, he's connecting with them over who Jesus is. And so we have in the heart of an essential worker in the kingdom of God, Peter having a heart of courage and Peter having a heart that valued connecting. And I cannot overemphasize the importance of us having those two things. Being courageous enough to speak up. But doing it in such a gracious and compassionate way that we connect with people, that we don't speak over them, that we don't shout them down, that we don't just simply argue with them to win an argument. Peter wasn't trying to win an argument, he was trying to win them to Christ. He connected with them. Now, he also had a heart for clarity. And I want to talk to you this morning about Peter's heart for clarity. Because this is the part of the conversation where when we were reading it through, you might have felt a little tension when we were reading it. Look with me back in the scripture if you would. If I could just call you back to the scripture. Let's look at verse 23. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Listen to what Peter says. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Now that's clarity. Specifically that's clarity about their responsibility in their relationship to Christ. And he goes on to say it, and in fact, if you'll remember, that's part of like the last thing that he says. He says in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ Jesus, this one that you have crucified. Peter had a heart for clarity about personal responsibility before God. Peter went right into it. And I don't think he was being mean. Have you ever talked with somebody who... It isn't so much what they were saying as how they were saying it. And they're speaking to you in a derogatory way or an aggressive way or in a mean way. You know what I'm talking about. I don't think Peter was talking to them that way. I think that Peter so cared about them that he wanted them to understand that you have a responsibility in your standing before God. You need to know that this Jesus that was resurrected, he was resurrected from the grave because you crucified him. He was courageous enough to speak up and yes, he connected with people and he found common ground, but not at the expense of clarity. And I would just take this opportunity this morning to say to you, you have a responsibility in your standing before God and you need to make sure that you're right with God just like they had to hear this message and respond to it So you do as well. Peter had a heart for clarity. Not to win an argument. But for them to understand the profound importance. The eternal importance. Of them being serious about their standing before God. He also had a heart for clarity as it related to people. Understanding the identity of of Jesus, If you sent somebody out on the street today with a microphone and a camera and you just stopped people at random and you said, who is Jesus to you? Who in the world knows what type of responses we would get? If we asked 20 people, we'd probably get 20 different responses. And oftentimes here in our Bible studies... Uh, and also here in sermons, we often talk about the importance of having a biblical view of who Jesus is. Because we are so prone to create God in our own minds the way that we want him to be. We are so prone to think about Jesus in terms of how we want him to be, not how the scripture communicates him to be. We have to keep a biblical perspective of Jesus. Peter does that. In fact, no, no less than twice And this message, does he talk about the fact that Jesus was the resurrected one, the one who had conquered death? But he also, in verse 36, says he's Lord and he's Christ. Peter had a heart for people to understand their responsibility to God. And Peter had a heart for clarity that people understand who Jesus is. He is the resurrected one who's conquered death, who is glorious and comes with the holy angels again. But I want you to make sure this morning, if you're making notes, you write down the word Lord and you write down the word Christ because Jesus is both Lord and Christ. This Jesus who was crucified is a resurrected Lord in Christ, And I hope that your life reflects that identity about him. Now we get to the end of seeing the heart of an essential worker. And it begs the question, doesn't it? What do I have to do to make sure that I'm an essential worker in the kingdom of God? I love the idea of being courageous in the world. I love the idea of connecting with people in a meaningful way, stepping in to the conversation, to the circumstances and finding common ground of spiritual language and talking about Jesus in a way that we both can understand and comprehend. And and, and I want to connect with people and I want to be clear with people about Their responsibility to God and about who Jesus is. I love all of this stuff. How can I be an essential worker in the kingdom of God? I want to give you two steps. One's theological, one's practical. The first is this. You need to personally and immediately respond to Peter's message. I know there's a lot of people here this morning who've already done this. You have come to the place in your life where you have said, Lord, Jesus, Jesus. I reject myself as the Lord of my life. I need forgiveness from sin. I need leadership in life. I need hope. And I know that you are the source for that. And sometimes in the Christian church, we talk about that as being saved. Sometimes we talk about that in terms of being born again. Sometimes we talk about that in terms of being forgiven. What's important to say this morning is that you don't just talk about it, but it's something that's actually happened to you. Because before you can be an essential worker in the kingdom of God, you have to be in the kingdom of God. And I would just invite you this morning, if, even if you've been going to church for 50 or more years... And you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You'd say, I believe in the existence of God, but I've never really experienced God. I don't have a personal relationship with God. I've never turned from my sin, as preachers say, and trusted and placed my faith in Jesus. Can I just say something directly to you? If you're online or whether you're here, like, like I'm just speaking right to you. Your eternal, your eternal well-being depends on you doing that. I don't want to overstate it because it can't be overstated. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to come into the kingdom of God. That's why I say personally and immediately. Don't wait. Like, I'm not trying to scare you or being weird, but you don't know that you're going to live the rest of this day. There are literally thousands of people who woke up this morning With the thought that they'll go to bed tonight and they won't. And I know that's strange for us to think about. But I love you enough to say this to you. You don't know that you have the time that you may think that you have. Get right with God today. Right now. Personally and immediately respond to this message that Peter is preaching about the resurrected one who's both Lord and Christ. Give your life to him today. Now, if you're hearing that and God is working in your heart, your heart's beating fast and your brain is going, I know I need to do that, I don't know what to do, I promise you this, I will stay in this room as long as you have questions. You and I, one-on-one, or with some of the other elders, we can discuss what that means personally and immediately respond to Peter's message. So that's the theological point. The practical one is this, start now. Start now praying, start now planning. And I know this may sound as silly as it could possibly sound to say after this incredible demonstration from the life of Peter and this heart of courage and his ability to connect and his desire to be clear, yes, this is awesome. What do I do? And I say, plan. Like, who wants to hear that as a, as a bullet point for a point of application? Well, here's the reality. You need to start thinking now about places in your life where your courage is tested. Probably in your life, there's a, a pocket of relationships or a geographical location that you struggle with being courageous for Christ. And the reason that I say start praying and planning now is because if you can walk out of here with a plan that tomorrow at work or tomorrow at school or Wednesday at soccer or Thursday at band or whatever it may be, when I get to that place where I know I continually struggle with being courageous, I am going to do it this week. Plan. Personally and immediately respond to Peter's message And start now, praying and planning. Where is God going to give you the opportunity to express the heart of an essential worker in the kingdom of God this week? Where is it for you? My weekly schedule looks different than your weekly schedule. In your life, where this week Is God going to give you the opportunity? Now it's true. We don't know what this week will hold. But we do know the rhythms of our life, don't we? We know where we normally are on Monday, what we typically do on Tuesday. We also know the places in our life where we feel prone to lacking courage, not connecting with people, not being clear with people about their responsibility to God or the glorious nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think you know what I mean. Praying and planning. If you're in this room this morning, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. If you're online, if you would just bow with us in prayer as well as we close our time. I don't want you to feel like this is just the 30 seconds or one minute of prayer before we leave. This is the 30 seconds with a minute or two minutes of a chance for you to do real work with a living God this morning. I want to ask you to lean into this moment. And if you need to respond to Jesus this morning by giving your life to him, please, please do that now. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is your moment to hear God as he speaks to you about where your heart is as we've looked at the heart of Peter. And I don't want you to necessarily mimic him because we need to be who God has made us to be. We don't need to be Peter. It's not what God's called us to do. But certainly you can see those qualities And in prayer right now you can say we're oh God this week can I live with courage can I connect with people can I speak with clarity on eternal matters maybe it's a place for you like maybe right now you're thinking about your office or maybe you're thinking about school or the cul-de-sac where you hang out with your friends or maybe you're thinking about a person but whichever it is just take a moment would you and make some commitments to the Lord that because you're a follower of Jesus because you have the spirit of God you can live with the same heart I even pray for those who are watching from home this morning and worshiping with us from living rooms or dining rooms that this would be the day even that on their street, on their block, that they would re-envision the way that they see themselves to their neighbors. For those of us who were here in the worship center this morning, I pray for the miraculous and supernatural ability hear from you, God, over where we need to be more courageous, where we need to lift our voice and speak out in a respectful and loving but clear way about the gospel of you, Jesus, the gospel of Christ. Thank you for a powerful morning, Lord. Thank you that you always bless us in ways that we cannot understand. But Lord, I just want to say we come to worship you We're so grateful for the way that you in turn bless us. But this has been about you. You're our focus. You're our treasure. You're who we aim to please. We close by thanking you for the life of Peter. We thank you for his heart. The heart of an essential worker in the kingdom of God. And the way that his actions 2,000 years ago still inspire and challenge and maybe a little bit convict, but spur us on to deeper and better faith. Thank you for him. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.